Welcome to This Crypto Life, where I explore stories and conversations about Web3 and the future of finance. This content is for educational purposes only. Enjoy this episode. So Dennis Porter, excited to speak with him, five-year Bitcoiner, CEO and co-founder of Satoshi Action Fund, and just excited to hear his story. That's, I think that's why I'm, I'm here. I'm excited. I hope you're excited too to hear some of the things that he has to share. So Dennis, welcome to the Pixel Block. What's up, man? Hey, Andrew. Thank you for that uh, warm welcome. I appreciate you inviting me to be a part of the show today and to talk about all the things I love, Bitcoin, mining, politics. You know, it's going to be a great conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited, man. I was excited because uh, the first time I heard you was on Watch Your Guru. We were having a panel type of forum conversation there and I started hearing your thoughts. And um, I thought the thoughts were, were very intriguing and interesting in so many different ways. And it also um, gave me the feeling that this individual that I'm hearing right now, uh, Dennis Porter, can be polarizing in some way, shape or form because of his views. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. Right. And I think that when you're passionate about something, whatever that thing is, um, people are always going to think that you are some kind of crazy person. Right. And I didn't get that. Those are my impressions. My impressions were you were an individual who spent a lot of time and I'm sure a lot of hard work in this particular space to learn and educate yourself about what's happening, not just with, you know, the banking system and all the things that we're uh, getting familiar with and how those things actually work. But the fact that you you took uh, the the helm for yourself and I'm sure your family and generations to come to learn about the things about Bitcoin. But we'll talk about that later. Uh, but I want to hear from you, man. Like, who is Dennis? Right. And I think that too many times we we just jump into the things that we are comfortable talking about because uh, we could riff the mic. I know you can. I've heard you and, you know, different platforms and forums and stuff like that. So I know you could, you know, riff the mic and, and, and spit your bars, you know, very well. So, so who are you, man? Who are, let's, let's hear a little bit about you. What's your experiences? Take us back to uh, maybe financial crisis 20, uh, uh, 2007, 2008. What were you doing back then? Share some stories with us with us, Dennis. Yeah, I mean, that's a great time to start. Um, 2007, 2008, it was a pretty tough time for a lot of people in my generation. You know, I'm a millennial. Uh, I would say I'm a middle-aged millennial, so not on the high side, not on the low side. Um, for me, 2007 was the year I was supposed to graduate, uh, but I ended up getting my GED instead after having moved back and forth between Mexico uh, and the United States a couple times. It had slowed down my education process, so decided to get my GED instead uh, and just join the workforce. Uh, it was a tough time. I mean, uh, there were not a lot of jobs available to the average person. I remember working a bunch of different jobs. You know, I've been everything from a Cutco salesman to a house painter to an Olive Garden waiter to you name it. I mean, it's like I've probably done it. Carpet cleaner. <laughs> um, you know, always found myself to be a fairly ambitious person, but had a couple problems. One of them was I had a hard time sitting still and and absolutely hated college with everything inside of me. So I only went for a very short period of time. I believe it was only two trimesters. It was a uh, community college. If you're not including uh, at the time uh, in my life, 2007, I was still very uh, religious at the time and also attended a semester of Bible college as well, which is literally just studying the Bible and studying the scriptures. It's, it's exactly what it sounds like. So 
that is where I was in 2007. Um, you know, just kind of worked a lot of different jobs, tried to do a lot of different things out. Uh, before that, my, you know, just before that, my, my life had, you know, changed dramatically. You might've heard me say I, you know, was coming back and forth from Mexico. What had happened was uh, my parents for some time had wanted to go onto the, get into nonprofit work. And they were looking for a way to do that. They'd invested into five travel agencies. I would say this is like probably pre 2000. Um, some time went on the internet you know, started to flourish. Uh, less and less people were buying their tickets online, but also things like 9-11 were just like devastating to my family. At the time before, you know, those events occurred, you know, like it, my dad bought five travel agencies. So you can imagine, you know, pretty good life, pretty good upbringing. You know, I used to get whatever I wanted for Christmas and pretty, you know, it's pretty simple life. And my parents had their dream house when I was a child. So doing pretty well and then investing into five travel agencies. But that decision was pretty you know, it was pretty catastrophic for my family considering where the internet went and what happened to travel agencies. So my family went completely bankrupt um, in a very short period of time, very rapidly. And eventually we, I had to move across town. So it was like moved in and out of multiple schools while I was uh, in middle school. And then eventually landed on the uh, west side of what is Vancouver, Washington. That's like a suburb, essentially, of Portland, Oregon, which is where I'm from. And while I was over there, that's when my parents made the decision to start the nonprofit work regardless. They, they kind of wanted to fund the nonprofit work with the travel agencies, right? Like own the travel agencies, travel, you know, have it funded. It's a very common setup for missionaries, nonprofit workers to find a way to fund their operation. Uh, but unfortunately for my parents, that uh, wasn't didn't work out that way. So they made the decision. What would that have been? 2004, 2003? I, kinda, I do get the years mixed up sometimes. Moved to Mexico, lived in Juarez for three years on the border, did everything from building homes for people there who had no homes to building orphanages feeding people, um, just doing community events, even did very large events where I was um, asked to, uh, I was either asked to act or um, be a part of the festivities in a certain way to the point where one of them was uh, asked to do like a one-man show in front of like 5,000 people at these like stadium events. So I've, I've, it was a very interesting time in my life uh, very extreme experience everything like i said from you know serving food to kids to standing on a stage in front of 5000 people and you know trying to you know spread the message of the gospel while i was there that's you know i was very religious as i said at the time of my life uh, eventually moved back after 3 years in mexico after that my parents moved to el salvador where they've lived which is very odd um but it's true. They've lived there for over a decade now and are very close to the people who launched uh, the Bitcoin beach operation and eventually led to being Bitcoin being legal tender there in the country of El Salvador. You know, had a little bit of a falling out with my parents before that because of leaving the church. So it was interesting to see that Bitcoin was kind of the thing that brought us back together. You know, I always say Bitcoin unifies, unites people and brings people together. It's, it's true even uh, in my own personal life. But uh, yeah, that time, 
that was an interesting time in my life. Moved back, kind of became independent, left the church, did my own thing, and um, went through some tough times. You know, you go, you're out on your own, no one there to support you. Your family doesn't, you know, lives in a foreign country. Um, eventually, developed a very severe form of epilepsy, and was my life for the next three or four years was mired with very difficult uh, ability to operate and function. Always found myself as someone who would probably be a, you know, a speaker or talk, like talk a lot in front of people and be a public speaker. Uh, but my epilepsy got so bad that I eventually uh, was put on medication, pretty heavy medication on a constant basis. And the medication was so strong that it made my brain so foggy that I couldn't even put you know, two or three words in front of each other. I don't know that, you know, that feeling that you get when you forget a word and you're like, damn, what's that word? That was mm. every single sentence for me. So, um, spent the next three or four years after, you know, living with that experience, trying to figure out how I could get out of it. Cause I was like in rock bottom. I was like, my life is over. I don't know what I'm going to do next because I can't function, can't think, definitely can't work. And that's when I decided to become just belligerently, ex exceedingly aggressive about my health, found a, a naturopath and then eventually a neurologist who does physical therapy therapy for brain disorders and was able to recover after just aggressively being on top of my health. I had to stop smoking, stop drinking, stop eating unhealthy, start waking up on time, focus a lot on my breathing. Breathing techniques are really helpful. Uh, but uh, the main thing was the the... Uh, neuro, the neurologist who does physical therapy for brain disorders, which by the way, if, if you, anybody who's listening ever needs any sort of help with any sort of brain disorder, whether it's uh, Tourette's, epilepsy, traumatic brain injury, uh, you know, please DM me because this guy has, he, he can have very significant impact on quite a variety of different uh, brain disorders. So, so we recovered from that. Um, soon after found Bitcoin. And I mean, we can, we can go from there on the Bitcoin store if you want, but that's, that's the, uh, that is the story up until Bitcoin. Yeah. I love, I love it, man. I love the fact that you took the time to share those, uh, those anecdotes for sure, because, um, even the, the scriptures and the learning of, of the scriptures that really, you know, struck a chord in me because I spent a lot of my years, uh, in, uh, Catholic school, and then from there, you know, became very active for the last two decades in a Baptist church, which uh, I was um, forced to leave. I want to share that with you because you shared so much. I was forced to leave because they did a coup um, in the church because they wanted to remain in power because uh, one of the elders uh, and their family had passed away, right? So they were trying to figure out what's the next thing that we can do to stay in power because we want to hold this church um, and our family for generations to come. But according to the bylaws of the church, which I was, uh, if you want to say, sworn to uphold as a deacon in the church for the last, you know, 15 plus years, you were supposed to follow the bylaws according to the way they were written, not according to the way the families needed to, um, you know, take the church in the direction that they wanted the church to go. So, so I wanted to share that with you because last year was interesting to, uh, for me in so many ways when it came to that, you know, with uh, lawyers involved and some other things involved, maybe I'll share that story in uh, a bigger capacity at some point, but I definitely want to, uh, just uh, share that with you because you shared uh, the things that you shared. So I really do appreciate that. So, yeah, uh, but yeah, churches, so Bitcoin, can be, churches can be messy sometimes. <laughs> Me messy <laughs> messy is an understatement man 
last year was was a wild and uh, eventful ride. But I'll share that at some point, you know, in the future. But uh, Fireside with you, man, is is what we're doing today. And I just appreciate you. Uh, some of the lessons that you learned from that, though, from the church stuff um, and how it uh, has uh, shaped you as an individual today. Can you share some of that? And then we'll jump into the Bitcoin stuff in a second. Yeah, you know, people ask me that question sometimes, and I don't really feel like I have a very good answer. Other than that, just generally, as I'm kind of the opposite of most people that left the church. I don't, I don't turn around and say, you know, well, screw the Bible or screw God. Like there's, there's quite a bit of stuff from the Bible. In fact, that is pretty healthy wisdom. So I would say that's, you know, the basis for some of the ways that I operate today, but uh, there's no specific lesson I would say that I learned other than just that generally speaking, there's, there's good stuff in the Bible. There's good stories and there's good uh, wisdom in there. So that's kind of the, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, absolutely. I do agree with that. Uh, especially with, a lot of the accounts and the lessons that you learn from the accounts, resilience and never giving up. And uh, there's a lot of uh, great anecdotes and, and accounts um, for sure um, in the scriptures. I do agree with that. So, so from there, if my timeline is correct, um, Bitcoin for you, 2017 and that, and that time frame. Yeah. 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 I'm a 2017 hype cycle guy. So got in just before the hype cycle. Um, and the reason why I discovered Bitcoin was just an, a random friend one day was like, oh, here's this anonymous internet money and you can transact anonymously on the internet. And I, you know, I just thought that's bullshit. There's no way that's possible. Uh, lo and behold, it's, it's, it's not totally anonymous, right? We all know that Bitcoin is not exactly the best money for transacting anonymously. However, I did become very attracted to Bitcoin at that point, especially after reading um, Andreas Antonopoulos' book and listening to him speak, got me really excited about the potential for Bitcoin. I myself saw a lot of problems with the way that money was corrupting politics, and I've always had an issue with the inequality on the planet with regards to the opportunities that are available to the average person. And I didn't realize that Bitcoin was the solution at first, but I but I definitely was attracted to the idea of banking the unbanked and being able to solve some of the problems that we have in the financial system today. Eventually, I came to realize that Bitcoin is you know capable of accomplishing so much more. But that was kind of phase one for me. 2017 got in, saw the opportunity for Bitcoin to have a positive impact, and then also saw the uh, amazing and interesting aspect of Bitcoin mining. I started mining in 2017, was very fascinated by it. Um, pretty small scale, nothing nothing crazy, nothing wild, but just really wanted to get my hands on with Bitcoin. And, and the only way I knew how was to start mining. I definitely didn't want to learn coding. You know, coding is a it's like going back to school for me. And as I said earlier, I, I just hated college and couldn't do it. And so uh, I... I gave up trying to teach myself how to code pretty quickly. And so that's why I jumped into Bitcoin mining. Uh, the, bear, the bear market hit, so that kind of slowed things down quite a bit and lost a little bit of interest in the sense like I, I wasn't trying to actively build anything in Bitcoin. I was just observing and educating myself on it, stayed pretty quiet, didn't really talk to anybody about Bitcoin, didn't really share anything about it with, it, with folks around me. No one seemed to be interested in it when I'd bring it up. So 
mostly just kept it to myself. And then eventually, uh, some time went on, I think it was 2020 when Sailor jumped in and, and the pandemic hit and we were all kind of cooped up in our houses. And I just realized like this thing is going to kick into another gear very rapidly, especially after Sailor had jumped into the, to the mix and, and, and because of where I knew Bitcoin was going to go on the other side of the pandemic. And so I quickly started trying to figure out how I could integrate myself or do something for Bitcoin. And the only thing that I knew how to do was to just start talking about it. And so I jumped on to Clubhouse early on. I believe that was January 2021. Jumped on Clubhouse, started talking, despite the fact that, you know, I said earlier, I've been on stages with 5,000 people, but it was like acting and, you know, preset lines. There is, there was something about myself, which I had always had an issue with, and that was speaking in front of people. I don't know why, but whenever I needed to speak like an idea or share my thoughts, I had a, a biological response. Like my throat would get scratchy. My body mm. temperature would drop. I would experience all of the like most extreme levels of like, like stage fright, like in my head, I'm fine, but my whole body is like reacting like fight or flight kind of moment. And it took me quite some time to overcome that, but I was willing to do it partly because I think that Bitcoin drives us to innovate. It, it drives innovation in multiple ways. In fact, this is something that I've been sharing more recently. Um, this would be the second time I've, I've spoken about it, but I, I believe that Bitcoin not only is a massive leap in of itself on money and a massive innovation on money, I think that it also forces us to innovate in various different ways. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean. The, the easiest one is the, the havings. The havings force us to innovate how we use electricity it forces us to be more efficient because every four years when having comes it becomes twice as difficult the difficulty like doubles and in, in, you know essentially how hard it is to mine bitcoin because the reward drops in half so you're forced to become more efficient and because of that we're seeing massive advancements not only in the chip manufacturing and the machines and the software they use but also it's now having an impact on energy and the grid and the way that we manage the grid. And I think that you're going to see, we're just seeing the beginnings of that, the very, very beginnings of that in states like Texas, where now Bitcoin mining is tied into the grid in a very integral way. We, so, so that's, that's number one. We also see Bitcoin innovating because of the slow and monotonous base layer of Bitcoin. And people complain all the time. Oh my gosh, Bitcoin's so slow. Can't do anything. Well, there's, re there's multiple reasons for that, but in the context of innovation, this is important because it is forcing us to innovate layers on top of Bitcoin. I mean, for instance, if you take Bitcoin Cash or whatever, any of these other um, you know, BSV or alternate versions of Bitcoin, where they've decided to expand the base layer, there's no innovation occurring on the second or third layer. It's all on the base. They're all trying to just do transactions on the base layer. And so because of that, they're not being forced to innovate. And they haven't innovated. Whereas with Bitcoin, not only are we innovating by creating a second layer on top of Bitcoin, you're starting to see other applications being built on top of that second layer. Maybe you could call them a third layer um, or maybe like 2.5. But that innovation is occurring and has occurred on Bitcoin because Bitcoin is forcing us to innovate on to another layer. Um, the third one, and this is the most interesting one to me, 
is because there is a hard supply cap of Bitcoin and you can never make more, it's very difficult to get Bitcoin, right? In the sense that you have to work for it and you have to add value in order to acquire Bitcoin. Sure, you can, you know, in this weird environment we live in today, you could print money and just like buy Bitcoin if you wanted to, right? But there's a hard supply cap. And because of that, it, it triggers something in us. And I think forces us as individuals to innovate on ourselves in order to acquire more Bitcoin. Like we as human beings are evolving. In my opinion, I think it's, I'm noticing the pattern in myself and in other people that focus on Bitcoin. Uh, I, I think that I'm early in noticing the pattern. There's other people that I've talked to about this where once you become exposed to Bitcoin and you really focus on it, and that's like your driving motivation is to get more Bitcoin, you start to notice that you like as an individual are becoming better at adding value. And I don't mean you're going to be a good person. Like, doesn't mean that, right? Like, although, right. you know, typically if you, in society, if you are good at cooperation, then you can, you know, create more value by, by, you know, combining your efforts. So, so to some extent, it does kind of force us to, to cooperate as well. But in the context of innovation, we as individuals are forced to innovate. And I'll go back to that story that I said, where at the very beginning that, I had terrible stage fright and then I was like forcing myself to overcome that. And I had wanted to overcome for a long time and never had the motivation to do so until the opportunity to get involved with Bitcoin seemed like it was uh, being removed from my grasp. So Bitcoin helps us innovate on a technological level. It helps us innovate uh, on the energy level and it helps us innovate on the individual level. And so those are the three I've found so far, but um, I'll stop there and, see if you have any comments. No, I mean, that was great. So for me, it definitely helped me on the educational level, uh, especially growing up in Brooklyn, New York and the 90s. Uh, financial literacy wasn't something that was introduced to me or taught in the schooling system that I grew up in. So uh, when I found Bitcoin in 2017 and really didn't go all in um, from until this past year, May of last year, I started educating myself a lot. Uh, on Clubhouse from May of last year all the way into, you know, present day, uh, just a uh, podcast and just, you know, diving into everything that I could learn about, you know, Bitcoin, 10 hours of Bitcoin, then you're on Coin Market Cap, then you're on Coin Gecko, and you're seeing all the different things that are happening in the space. And you're like, well, where have I been for the last, you know, however long it is for, for, for you personally, right? With uh, financial literacy, especially if all this stuff is being introduced to you for the first time, where you know, when you put your money in the bank, is it a liability or an asset, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, so there's been a lot of things for me that Bitcoin has done by way of education, and it does make you a better um, individual by way of how you're processing information and what you're going to con uh, potentially do um, for your family and, and the futures to come, you know, how you're going to, to save, you know, what you consider property, how are you going to manage funds, right? And all the things that it, it allows, it exposes a lot of things in us as human beings. And then once that exposure takes place, then you have to ask yourself, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to remain the way you were, right? Prior to that exposure, you know, that kind of a thing. So I definitely agree with you. I just want to share those thoughts. Uh, next thing I wanted to hear from you, though, is uh, the banking system. I know there's a lot of individuals who believe that, you know, banks are their friends, if we want to go with that tagline. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on banks and how we should view banks um, and leverage banks for our benefit 
as we're, you know, focusing more on Bitcoin and assets that will help us uh, be more decentralized. Yeah, uh, just going back to your your comment on that really quickly before we talk about the banks too. I th you're right; it does it does become like forces you to learn uh, about money and economics. And one of the things that you learn, you know, tying into what we're talking about next is that there's a lot of problems in the current financial system, even in the most powerful country on the planet, in the United States, probably with the most powerful country in history, we have 10 million people who can't get a bank account. And that's a serious problem. So the, not only not only are we facing a time when the money that you put in the bank doesn't give you any sort of interest, right? Like a lot of us are too young, I guess, to even remember. I, I'm barely old enough to remember when there was at least a little bit of interest that you could earn by keeping your money in the bank, but now there there is none. And um, but aside from that, like you have 10 million people who can't even gain access to financial services, which is horrible, right? Like you can't, if you don't have access to financial services, like banking services, you, it's hard to even like get a, a place to rent, right? Uh, you can't buy a house, that's for sure. So this is a really big problem and it's something that needs to be solved and I think has been solved by Bitcoin because you, you don't, the best part about Bitcoin is you don't need an ID. You don't, there's no, there's not even any age restrictions. So kids can start saving for their lives at a very young age, which is great for, especially for kids in like foster care systems. So it's a very powerful tool. And I think it's really going to help a lot of folks be able to overcome the place in the, in, in life where you just, if you don't have a good enough credit score, if, if you, you know, aren't, don't have an address, like you can't get a bank account. It's crazy. Like I, I did. So there was a very brief period, um, where I was, I wouldn't say homeless, but I was like, you know, couch surfing, essentially you could, you could call it homeless, I guess. But, um, so I kind of turned around when my life started getting better, like tried to do a little bit of nonprofit work in the homeless community here in, in Portland. And one of the biggest problems is how do you get someone to recover from homelessness? It's, it's not just like, Oh, go work hard. Like you, it's hard to get a job if you, first of all, like don't have a car or a means of transportation, uh, if you don't like aren't clean and looking good and you know showered on a regular basis like it's hard to hold down a job but homeless people can't they don't they can't have a house or, or they can't get a rental or anything like that because they don't have banking services and they can't get banking services because they don't have an address and it's like this whole like it's this whole like what do you call that like uh so repeating loop of just like issues that they can't overcome and so now you have bitcoin where someone who as long as they have uh, uh, access to the internet can have a banking they can have a bank account now right so it helps not just like i said earlier with people who are are young and wanting to start to save and in a foster care system but also people that are homeless can have actual banking services people that are their credit score is too low can have banking services so it's it to me i don't want to say like banks are your enemy they're not i think they're pitched a little too negatively maybe the Maybe the, the Federal Reserve and all these guys up here at the top are definitely a problem, but the banks themselves are just living within the regulatory system that they're required to live within. They're required to have 
uh, addresses and credit scores to give out these bank accounts because everything's living on a credit system. In order to open a bank account, you're also opening the access to, to a small line of credit and they have to make sure that they're not gonna give that out to someone who can't pay or who is gonna abuse the system. So oftentimes people are just completely left out and Bitcoin is opposite of that, right? It's not, it's not a credit system. Like when I pay for gas, um, the gas station automatically goes to my bank and like pulls out a bunch of money that I may or may not have. Whereas with, with Bitcoin, it's like a push system. You actually have to, you have to have the money when you push it over. The, so it solves a big problem in the, in the world where you don't need to have a good credit score because you're not, you're not accessing credit. It's, it's actually your money that you have and that you're pushing over to people. So it's a, you know, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting advancement on money, but also it also helps unlock financial system for, I think, not just the 10 million people here in the United States, but the billions of people across the planet who don't have access to financial services at all. Mm. So I think that even with what we're talking about right now, uh, it makes sense to talk about CBDCs and, and how they may change uh, a lot of different things. So I don't want to do too, too big of a lead in on that. What are your, what are your takes on CBDCs and, and what they can offer to the world? Uh, good, bad, or indifferent. I don't like CBDCs. I think that they are an authoritarian tool for invasion of privacy and control. There's a reason why China is moving in the direction of CBDCs so aggressively, because they allow for an incredible level of spying and an incredible level of control. Now, don't get me wrong. I think CBDCs are perfectly fine for... They're perfectly fine for interbank commerce. They're perfectly fine for the Fed trying to send money uh, to another central bank across the planet, because I don't care if those guys are spying on each other, but there's a big difference between wholesale use of CBDCs, which is what I just mentioned, and retail use, which is the people in this room using CBDCs. I don't want to give the government the, any more power over the financial rails than it already has. We've seen what happens when we give the government too much power. They always end up abusing that power and they did it in Canada with the truckers. Like, I don't care where you stand on the, the issue as a political issue. And I'm an American, so I'm not even trying to interject on Canadian politics, but no leader should be able to cut out large swaths of their own people from the financial system based off of a political indifference. Regardless, I just, of I just want to interject real quick. Is that what happened in Canada? Because I didn't really follow it closely. I knew that uh, it was very big news. Uh, but uh, for those who really didn't follow it closely uh, during the time and, and detention for uh, the truckers and, and Canada, the, you know, that whole, um, those headlines, what happened and your, your thoughts, what you saw? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. There was, you know, there's some folks, I've met some Canadians, like I said, I've met some Canadians who, who think that it was the truckers were wrong and they shouldn't have been there and all that. And like, that's fine. Right. Like, but they're, they're protesting and you shouldn't be using extra like extreme powers that you're bestowed upon you because you have unlimited control over the financial system to remove your, you know, your political opponents from those financial rails. Like mm. it, CBDCs just advance that they elevate that and increase the ability to do that by a dramatic amount. And 
because not only are they allowed to unlimitedly spy on you, they can very quickly and easily control when and where and how you spend that money. So for instance, like, you know, a lot of people in this country and others know what food stamps are. Like if you get food stamps, like you, you're only allowed to use them on food and at certain locations and sometimes only on certain items, right? If you're like in a WIC program, something like that. Mm-hmm. So like imagine a, government programmable money where you could specifically only use money for rent or only use it for gas or only use it for groceries. And if you don't use it in a certain amount of time, like they're going to remove it from your bank account. These are all things that your powers are giving to the government. If you start to allow them to use CBDCs. Now I I think to some extent we're going to CBDC adoption will occur or they'll attempt to make it occur in various countries. Like I said, China's already doing it, but we need to do everything we can to slow it down and make sure that it doesn't become something that's used for retail use in the United States. I think it's a very, it's a very poor direction to go. I don't, I don't want to go. I want to do literally to everything, the opposite of what China has been doing recently. China's adopting CBDCs. I want to ban CBDCs for retail use. Uh, China is banning Bitcoin mining. I want to adopt Bitcoin mining, right? Like we, we, everything that China is doing, like literally just look at what they're doing and do the opposite of that. And you'll, you'll be headed in the right direction, in my opinion, especially with regards to Bitcoin mining. I appreciate that. So when it comes to like, you know, Bitcoin and electricity and emissions, what's the conversation surrounding that? Because um, there's a lot of individuals who feel like emissions is directly tied to Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. I know we're kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but I just wanted to mention that and get your thoughts on that as we navigate the conversation. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just a misunderstanding of, of Bitcoin. Bitcoin mining is just a data center, right? Like, it's no different than Amazon uh, or Google data centers, which all have like tax credits, even in like my home state of Oregon, which is very focused on environmental policy. They like tax credits for these guys. And they're very pro data center. They're very pro chip fabrication. Like they love bringing this industry to their states. So why are we now trying to say that Bitcoin mining uses too much energy? I don't, I don't think it uses too much energy. In fact, it, it would probably be better if it used more energy because Bitcoin mining tends to incentivize the build out of renewable energy assets and it brings more ROI to renewable energy assets across the planet. So the biggest problem with particularly solar and wind renewable energy is they tend to produce a lot of energy when no one needs it. And because of that, they either have to curtail or just, which, which is like shut down, right? Or they like drive the energy into the ground. They, they like plug it into the ground and it's just completely wasted. What Bitcoin mining can do is it can come in and it can monetize that what would be wasted or stranded energy, which is great, right? That's not only good for your state, your city, wherever you are, because the Bitcoin miners will come in. It's a clean industry. It doesn't produce emissions, right? It's just like a data center. And it's now monetizing that wasted and stranded energy, providing those jobs and the investment in in local electrical infrastructure. That's good also for the renewable energy guys, right? The guys that are creating these assets because Mm -hmm. this is missed ROI on green, renewable, clean energy assets such as wind and solar. Now they're able to get even more return on investment for those assets, which is important, if you, especially if you care about the climate, because the folks that I talk to, climate researchers and environmentalists, 
it's pretty commonly understood or commonly agreed upon that we need to build way, way, way more renewable energy assets across the planet in order to decarbonize our grid. Like there's there's numbers out there thrown all over the place, but some people say it's like 10x. We need to 10x the amount of renewable energy assets we have. And in order to get there, what they've been trying to do so far has been like tax credits or by punitively going after the fossil fuel industry. Well, uh, the great thing about Bitcoin mining is it's just a free market incentive. So you don't you don't need to like give tax breaks or punish anybody. Just let the Bitcoin miners come in and soak up all the excess energy and monetize it, provide jobs, and this will lead to a higher ROI on those renewable energy assets resulting in the potential to build more out. Now, this is very, that's like theoretical, right? But it's very easy to see. It's, it's just economics 101. If something has a higher return on investment, like people are going to build more of it. That's just common. It's the whole reason why they did the carbon credits and the tax credits in the first place for these assets, because they're trying to incentivize them to build more of them. And it does work. It works to give free money out to people to build things. They'll do it. In fact, they've built quite a lot of them in places where they don't need to be at. And this is also where Bitcoin mining comes in and, and it starts to help monetize a lot of this wasted and stranded energy. I think like in, te in Texas, they like built an incredible amount of wind and solar energy generation. And a lot of it is just completely wasted because it's, it's stranded. Like they're not properly connected to the grid and, or they create too much wind and solar when energy, when no one needs it in the middle of the day when the wind is the strongest and when the sun is the highest, but people use a lot less energy during that time of day. So I'm um, curious to know, I'm curious to know if you received a lot of pushback um, because you're proposing something that sounds extremely logical to me, right? Uh, with energy and Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. Have you received any pushback uh, on the, those thoughts that you just gave, uh, especially when it comes to uh, passing bills and and things of that nature, because I know you spend time in a political sphere as well. Can you share some thoughts on that? I have. So I get pushback from people in the Bitcoin space who think that I'm, you know, an ESG apologist, but I'm just simply stating the facts. I'm simply stating the truth that Bitcoin does improve the ROI on wind and solar, and it helps to stabilize the grid by, this is another part I didn't talk about, when there is not enough energy being created and we need to find places to pull energy from and give back to the grid, Bitcoin miners can act like a virtual power plant and they can shut down within fractions of a second and return energy back to the grid. In fact, Bitcoin miners are such a perfect flexible load that they're creating new programs for them in Texas because they can shut down quicker and faster and more effectively than anybody else in the entire space. And it's a massive amount of power they can return to the grid, which nobody, again, nobody is using, oftentimes nobody is using this energy in the first place. So they're monetizing energy that's not being used. You can continue to build out and expand your renewable energy assets with the ROI being improved because of Bitcoin mining. And then when the grid does need the energy, you can create demand response incentive programs or high frequency response incentive programs. They're trying to also create a large load um, response incentive program in Texas now. So you can shoot that energy back into the grid 
in times of need. Because, in, for instance, in Texas, the, where this is taking place, there was an event a couple of years ago where there wasn't enough energy returned to the grid and the grid like broke down. You have to maintain like load and demand all the time on the grid. It has to be almost perfectly matched. It can go off a little bit, but if it goes too high or too low, that's when you have like brownouts or blackouts. Or the, the whole grid just goes down, right? Completely, right? Or like I said, it's a blackout. But uh, this happened when a storm came through, and then it also was very cold, and it froze a lot of pipes, created a lot of infrastructure damage, and over 300 people died. But if Bitcoin miners had been where they are today, with the programs that are in place today, they could have shut down, wind down immediately, and return energy back to the grid, and could have saved through those 300 people, could have prevented the infrastructure damage from the frozen pipes all across the state. Um, and, and they are kind of doing that now. They, there, there even was a threat of a, of a storm like the following year. It wasn't as severe as the one pri previously, so it wouldn't have ended up in, in any sort of damage, but they, are, they were worried about the amount of energy that the miners were using, and they said, hey, could you wind down? And the miners wound down. And, and the reason for this is, is because it's, a, it's an incentive program, right? Like you're not... Hmm. You're not like telling them like, oh, you know, screw you, shut down. Like we're taking your energy. Like it's you, you actually get paid to shut down. And uh, the, so the miners like it. It's a, it's a, it's a, win, it's a win, win all around. So this is just like, this is the best thing about Bitcoin. It's like, it's always a win, win for everybody. Not only do you save the grid, the Bitcoin miners win. And then the politicians look great because the, they saved the day. Right. So it's a great story for Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining. And I hope that we see a lot more, but that's what I'm going to be fighting for. Which I don't know if, People are paying too much attention to the, to the work that I do, but uh, through Satoshi Action Fund, we are going to be going all across the country. And I, I shared a little tweet up top if people want to take a look at the organization, but we're going to be going on the offensive for Bitcoin mining in other states. We are already in Montana, talking to people in Montana, talking to people in Louisiana, um, and we're targeting a bunch of other states. You know, Mississippi is one. We also like the Dakotas. Um, Oklahoma is a big target. But what we want to do is we want to expand these programs so that other states can be more like Texas and a lot less like New York and advance in their path to be able to attract Bitcoin mining to their state. Because Texas will fill up eventually, and we need to expand Bitcoin mining. And I'd rather it take place here in the United States than anywhere else because we want those that jobs, we want the investment, we want the innovation. We want it to all occur here. We want the renewable energy assets to be built out here. Bitcoin is the perfect counterbalance to renewable energy. This is the problem. Like the energy guys are like, oh, renewable energy assets, they just wreck the grid because they, they're so intermittent. And what I remember going back to what I said just a moment ago, it's like if the grid, um, the amount of demand and the amount of load becomes imbalanced, it's bad for the grid. And so because renewable energy assets are constantly intermittent, like they're wind is blowing and then it's not and then sun is shining and then cloud comes over it's it causes problems for the, a lot of problems for the grid but bitcoin mining can perfectly balance whatever excess or lack of load that's being created balanced out perfectly so i mean it's like an incredible like this is what i'm telling this is the craziest part it's like people are like oh nothing's happening on bitcoin like yeah maybe not smart contracts but we're like literally fixing some of the biggest problems in the energy market in the entire world with Bitcoin mining. And that's a much bigger deal, in my opinion, than anything else that's going on in the space. It's, sorry for those that love NFTs and smart contracts. Those are, those, are, those are cool. I know you guys get excited about those. But they are cool. See, I, get, I get excited about energy. So uh, uh, don't hate me for it, but that's my thing.
No, it's all good. They are cool. I, I'm curious to know your your allocation. Do you share that publicly? Like, you're seventy five percent Bitcoin. You know, eighty or whatever. Do you share that publicly? What you, what's your take on that? Yeah, I'm, I don't hold any other crypto, so I only hold Bitcoin. I think I have like some millisats of something that I didn't, you know, in an old Binance account somewhere, right? So someone's gonna go find that one day and try to prove me wrong. But I, I don't. I don't have any any significant amount of crypto other than Bitcoin. It's probably like ninety nine point nine 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 percent. Okay. Uh, do you uh, DCA dollar cost average in uh, often? You know, weekly, monthly, you know, quarterly. Like, what's your what's your frequency if you're you know able to share that? It's infrequent. Sometimes I de- I'm there's times where I DCA and then there's there's times where I I hold back and make purchases. Like I I held back some purchases. Um, a couple months ago, because I kind of had a sense that we were going to take a big downturn, and so then we did, and so then I, I moved in, moved it all into Bitcoin. So that was, okay. you know, every once in a while I I try to do little trades like that where I, I wait or I don't wait. Sometimes I screw myself, so I wouldn't. Don't follow me. I'm like the worst trader on the planet. If you want okay, to know more about you. Bitcoin and energy and how to fix, how Bitcoin will fix the world and fix the energy system and the grid, then you then the follow me, but don't follow me if you want trading advice. Cause I'll, I will tell you just to buy Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> and I'll tell you the DCA when you feel like it or throw more in when it's cheap. I don't, it doesn't really matter to me as long as you're consistently buying. Gotcha. Okay. So I'm going to create a scenario for you. Okay. And it, this scenario is designed for you to just share a couple of words on something, um, because you have to catch a train. You can't miss this train. You have to catch it. Right. But as you're about to catch the strain, someone says, hey, um, I, I know you, you're, you're that Dennis guy. What did you think about Celsius and, and all the other stuff that's been happening? Can you, but you're about to catch the strain and you can't miss it. And the train's about to take off. What do you tell them? Celsius uh, and Voyager and anything else that rehypothecates your money should be avoided. Absolutely avoided. I, we already tell people to stay away from exchanges. Why would I tell you to go put your money on an exchange that loans your money out? It's like crazy. Mm-hmm. So I mean, Bitcoin. I mean, it, that's my statement for the train. But to continue on this topic, just just for a moment, um, like Bitcoiners that I know, like we've been telling people to avoid Celsius and we've been telling people to avoid Voyager for a very long time because we knew that this was would likely be the inevitable outcome it came much sooner than we realized because the market conditions just got so violent and aggressive and there was so much mishandling of uh, misallocation of funds and, and mal- malinvestment in the space so it, it really it exploded quite spectacularly but i'm not surprised at all that these companies are imploding mm-hmm. yeah it's um so full disclosure you know to you and and everyone listening i do have funds uh currently in celsius that you know i don't know when i'll get if i'll get them um so that's an interesting that's weird it's a weird feeling and uh but i I think the transfer the transparency is extremely important yeah no thank you for that that's 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 good that you you know you try to be as transparent as possible but um you know i'm just always I'll keep a little bit of Bitcoin on exchanges, you know, when it's small purchases. And then if I get over a certain amount, I remove it. But these these rehypothecation services to me just, uh, I've always been very leery of them. Um, I feel very terrible, including for yourself, for the people that can't get their funds out. I'm not the kind of person that's like, oh, you should have known better. Like, right. Like there's, 
I don't think anybody knew it was going to implode this quickly or this aggressively. So somewhat of a black swan style event. So I'm sorry that you, you haven't been able to get your funds out and hopefully you will be able to. Yeah. It's, but again, we talk about money that you're willing to lose, but it's interesting. I was having a conversation with someone recently. We say it's money that you're willing to lose, but I'd still feel some kind of way if I lost it, even though it's money I was willing to lose. So it's almost like it's not just one like disconnection from the whole thing. And I don't know if people are being honest about that. It's like losing money is losing money, right? Even if it's money I was willing to lose, it's still losing money, right? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? I guess poke holes in that, if you will. Yeah, I'm the same way. And I, this is why I just stopped trading or doing anything like this. Um, when I first got into Bitcoin, I tried to trade Bitcoin to get or try to trade crypto to get more Bitcoin. And I just couldn't take it when I was when I would make small mistakes and losses and it just became so frustrating. So I stopped doing it completely. And I agree with you, even even small amounts of losses. Uh, it can be very frustrating. So I, to me, it was just like I just woke up one day, I was like, I'm so tired of watching charts. And even though it's, it, I wouldn't say tired of it, it, it's very much like gambling, right? Like you, you feel like a rush when you're doing it. So it is a little addicting, but I just got tired of the ups and downs and the ins and outs. Uh, and, and I was realizing how much time I was spending watching charts and trying to figure out what to trade so I could get more Bitcoin. But I did, yeah, like I said, I just woke up one day. I was like, I'm sick of it. And I want to spend that time improving myself and making myself more valuable so that I can just earn more Bitcoin. Cause if you're, I mean, like, what is it, like 5% of traders or something like that actually are profitable? And that's just profitable. That's not like you're, has, wow. you're, just, you're just green. You're in the green, right? Or in the black, so to speak. Not even, like, making a ton of money. So it's a very ruthless game, and most people don't win. Most people get wrecked over time, given enough time, right? I'm sure there's people in this room who are like, I've been trading. I've been doing great. Well, it, given enough time, the odds are very much stacked against against people so um, and i've been a gambler before i know what that's like to convince myself that i'm oh i'm probably like up a little bit no you're probably down a little bit <laughs> to be honest like um and also again like you get you don't have to waste the time trying to make little wins like go go learn more about bitcoin and learn more about energy learn more about finance and if ele elevate yourself so that your time becomes more valuable because if your time is more valuable, then it will run out and then people will want to pay you more for it. So that was mm -hmm. my ultimate goal was I woke up and I was like, I want my time to be more valuable. I want to be the person that people ask to come speak and to be a part of events. And I took the last year and a half just purely focusing on that. Um, and so far it's working pretty good. Thank you. That's a good lead in for the DC summit stuff. So quick takeaways from that. What'd you get from that? I had a really great time in DC, the, at the DC summit, even though I missed the Oslo forum, which I heard was like a, a spiritual event for people that went. So I'm definitely going to have to carve out and go to the Oslo forum next year instead. But DC is great. You know, that's my thing. I talked to politicians, uh, those are elected officials. It was great to see Cory Booker come out and be moving in the right direction. I'm always glad to see Lama, Lummis and a few other senators were there and representatives like Warren Davidson. And um, we also saw, I think it was Tom Emmer and to was Toomey there too. I was all over the place. So I almost forgot, didn't, didn't get to see all the panels, but also ran a panel myself with Fred Teal and Dave from, from Compute North and Bobby from National Grid Partners. 
really great conversation. And um, I thought it was something that was really needed at, a, at an important time when we're talking about Bitcoin and digital assets from a national perspective and from a political perspective. It was, I think it was good for a lot of elected officials to see the, the amount of energy and excitement and, and interest there is on this from, from a political perspective. I spent, um, let's see, since, what was it? Uh, roughly August, no, before that, like June or July of last year, I started to get really engaged on the political side of things because I just noticed that I think that this is going to become a very popular political. Every once in a while, I guess things right. I guess I make a lot of guesses. I make a lot of bets. Uh, I'm not always right, but I've made a couple bets um, in the last few years uh, or a few bets in the last few years that have really, really turned out that I was right on them. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm right all the time. I'm I'm wrong plenty of times, but I was really right on this one. And that was that Bitcoin would become a very popular, popular political issue in the United States. And, and it has become a very popular political issue, not only amongst Bitcoiners and people in the crypto space, but also with politicians who are seeing that you can create jobs out of this. There's investment, there's innovation and there's money. I mean, mm. I did a fundraiser. I've done, I've done a few fundraisers for politicians. They are particularly excited about the idea of, getting new revenue sources. So um, it, I, that, 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 bet, that bet really paid off. There was very, not very many bets that I would say that paid off better for me than that one, just being really focused on politics and seeing where it's going and, and having an idea of where we're going to head with Bitcoin in the USA. And just, now when I like tweet out like, oh, Bitcoin will win in the USA, people are just like, yeah, we know. But a little over a year and a half ago, if you would be like, the USA is going to adopt Bitcoin, you, people thought you're crazy. Yeah. Uh, so I um I have a curious question. Um and this does this is not connected to anything you've done in the past or even doing now. But I want to ask this cuz I'm I'm curious. Will you have like a Dennis Porter podcast? You only? Like your 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 baby. Are you planning to do anything like that in the future for yourself? Because uh, you have a lot to share and a lot to give to the world. So I'm just curious, are you thinking about doing that for you like a you podcast, not in collaboration with this or, you know, blah, blah, blah kind of thing. What, what are your thoughts on that? I've, I've thought about it. I, I like media, but then I get burned out on media, like doing it myself. You know how tough it can be to run a show. Um, sure. you know, I've had multiple, I've had multiple shows. I think I've had like two or three shows now and I, I enjoy them, but eventually it just kind of becomes this thing where it's like so much work. Um, I think that I probably will focus a lot more on the advocacy work that I'm involved in with Satoshi Action there's a lot of there's a lot that can be done and we don't have a lot of time so that's where i'm going to dedicate the majority of my efforts but yeah ha always happy to come back and loop back around to the idea I, I i like again i said i like media i think it's i enjoy it but uh my efforts can be best aimed elsewhere currently okay i love that i love that so i just want to mention to the g media account i did uh, except the co-host invite, but I don't see um, any like the requests and stuff like that. But I want to ask Dennis one more thing um, on the docket here, uh, Ethereum. So I just want to hear your thoughts on Ethereum and then we'll see if we could bring one person to uh, share some comments and thoughts. G-Media, if you're able to do that, I greatly appreciate that. Uh, bring one person up if they, if they can share some thoughts with Let's Dennis. Go ahead. Yeah, let's go ahead and just, let's go jump right to that because I only have about two or three minutes left. So if you want to 
if you want to just jump to someone coming up and asking a question, I'm happy to answer any questions. Got to run. Um, That's fine. Um, That's perfectly yeah. fine. That's perfectly fine. So Jimmy account, if we do have one person, uh, please bring them up uh, to share their thoughts and then we'll begin wrapping up. Dennis, uh, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I, I really, I really did, man. So do we have anybody G media? Looks like I drove the price of Bitcoin down for everybody too. So apparently uh, it's time to buy. Okay. I, I don't think we, it doesn't look like we have anybody. Uh, so quick thoughts on, on ETH. Um, you probably got 30 seconds and then, and it will wrap. Yeah. You know, um, I'm a Bitcoin only guy, so I just focus on Bitcoin. I don't have any sort of hatred towards investing in any other projects. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I find Bitcoin to be the most stable and secure and most likely to last out of everything. Um, I think that there is some concerns around the merge with, with Ethereum, and I'll be keeping a close eye on it. There's it, it, there's also an interesting conversation around you know Ethereum being relabeled as a security, which is kind of something that's being debated very hotly in, in D.C. You have Gary Gensler saying he thinks it's a security, and then you have you know, this Lummis Jellybrand overview commentary calling Ethereum a commodity. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. At the end of the day, I'm so bullish on Bitcoin. I, I just really don't take too much time to focus on any of the other projects at this point. And, you know, that can be to my demise, potentially, who knows, but no one no one really knows the future for sure. But I'm, I'm pretty happy and satisfied holding Bitcoin. I don't need to get, you know, 10x returns every year to be happy with where my wealth is growing yeah i appreciate you man where can we find you and then we'll close out with some music yeah you can find me right here if you click on me uh if you're on twitter spaces um which is my twitter profile where i spend most of my time it's at dennis underscore porter underscore or just type dennis porter into twitter and you'll find me i'm lucky to be the most popular dennis porter on the internet Thanks for listening to this Crypto Life. Make sure you follow me and subscribe to the podcast on all major platforms. Links will be in the description. See you on the next episode.